0: Hello everyone. You're listening to Unjustified True Beliefs, the podcast where we talk about our beliefs and we try to justify them using philosophy, psychology, and maths. Today I'm joined by Saranj Mehta, Apurva Vapat, uh, and Shankar Kumar, and Mometanath And we are going to talk about the Bayes theorem and how to make this sense of the world around us today. So before we dive into the base theorem, the first question I had for everyone which will help ground our discussion is, do you have a time when you guys overfit on an ev- on evidence provided to you? So for example, has there been an incident in your life which has caused you to react unreasonably in the future? Like an example I have is that I once have hit my car on the left side, which is the driver's side in my case, And because of that, till this day, I park my car, giving way too much space on the left side while not giving enough space on the right side, simply because I've been burnt once. So yeah, it's based on a few data points and a little evidence. I have changed my behavior in a way that would probably be called unreasonable or irrational. So do you guys have examples like that?
1: So I, unfortunately, I'm a hypochondriac and uh, it's, life is not easy as a hypochondriac. So every time any small little ache or a sneeze feels like right now, it feels like COVID. Uh, and uh, every small little ache feels like the worst thing because I, I assume and I, I, I think of the worst because that's probably that's a habit I've built and which is why I'm a hypochondriac, right? Mm-hmm. And which is absolutely not rational. I, I don't look at all the symptoms i don't look at all the uh, all the feelings that i have when i have a certain ache and i just kind of assume the worst and i think okay it's probably that because i've i've heard more news about the worst disease or now in, in 2020 i have i only hear about covid so it, it's very natural for not just a hypochondriac but for every other person to you know think of any sneeze or a little cough to be covid so so yeah, I, I definitely, a lot. I I really struggle when it comes to this. You had an
0: example, too, Saranj? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I do that uh, during my college days. Every semester, one star- semester I study well and good, get good marks, and the next semester I crash. So it was a, like an oscillation thing. Where i like very relaxed that oh I got good marks and now I can relax, and then I relaxed a lot, and then I have to cover up back in the next semester. So my my my. Uh, the mark sheet looks like a waveform up and down, up and down, but overall it was fine. So, but yeah, it, it has happened and that taught me the lesson of being consistent like uh, having a good, you know, a pattern where I, I can be perceived to be a, a responsible guy.
0: I make this the mistake all the time that in thinking that past performance is indicative of the future performance, which is
2: never the case
0: apurva and shankar dear what about you guys have you do you have examples where you guys overfit on evidence so to speak
3: yeah kind of uh, i mean i don't uh, it, it's a, it's a silly thing but uh, when i in, in these in this year i uh, started uh, i started to learn to how to make some uh, breads like anything that that requires using the uh, using yeast and there was there was a couple of times when i uh, when i the temperature for that yeast has to be absolutely right of of temperature of the water or the either the yeast doesn't bloom or it gets killed and i have i have gone both ways and so now when how much ever amount i need of yeast i end up you know using like two bowls doing the same thing whichever yeast (laughs) blooms right i use that but then I, i i waste some amount always but i'm all i have been scarred that um either it doesn't bloom or i kill it so i need to find a middle way and my my way of finding the middle ground is just 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 have two yeast ready whichever lives goes into the bread and the other one goes down the drain
0: yeah i haven't had yeah. bread for that you baked for a long time but i can attest that at least your baking skills are in order since you baked a cake for everyone yesterday so <laughs>
3: Thankfully, it didn't require yeast, so I was good. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm thankful <laughs> about that
0: too. Apparently, now. Um, what about you, Shankar?
4: Do you have any examples? Yeah, so examples. Where I do come across numerous examples every day, where mostly when the uh, cost of the outcome being not favorable is very high, or we have an inherent preparing for the work, so that causes us to. Uh, uh inclined more towards a particular evidence that we have so that causes us to mainly focus more on the evidence or the particular set of uh, evidence that we have basically and then rank our decision or uh, base our decision based upon that particular evidence so it basically stems from the fact that we have to prepare for the worst outcomes or we are afraid about the outcome not being favorable towards
2: exactly
0: yeah this is you brought up a very good point that our emotions and sometimes our fear of the bad outcome makes us believe things makes us act a certain way that might not always be optimal it's and it's most of it is happens when you least expect it because rationality anyone sitting in an armchair is rational but when push comes to shove and the emotions come into play and biases come into play immediately following that. And that is when you kind of struggle to make sense of evidence around you. And another pertinent example that i feel here is with the amount of, we keep bringing this topic up, but the amount of misinformation around the world right now is at an all time high. Everyone's discussing about it. Like it's come to a point where it affects entire elections so this uh, week's topic is talks about a tool that we can use to make sense of all of this evidence and evaluate evidence for ourselves by by looking at different aspects of what we are provided so as a general philosophy i think humans are in general pretty bad at making sense of probability in general. Uh, we evolved around very social cues and we are very good at finding out how someone is feeling by looking at their face, judging someone's actions. But some, given the fact that technology has kind of accelerated so much and has overtaken our evolutionary pace, it's uh, only natural that at this point we are at the stage where we are getting information in a way that is not very intuitive. It's hard to make sense of all of this information com- being thrown at us at e- every second in time. And yeah, we need some tools to help us think about this rationally. And the Bayes theorem is exactly that. So how I'm going to do this is we're going to talk about what the Bayes theorem is. It's We're not going to go into any formulas or the mathematical aspects of it. But essentially, we're going to talk about what part, what those formula, what the formula actually entails, what it means, and what does the Bayes theorem try to do? So to begin with, it's as general as it tells you how likely a hypothesis is given evidence that you have. So you come up with a hypothesis. The hypothesis in this case, the pertinent example might be that do I have COVID, for example? And then the evidence might be that I have a test here that I, that was created in a lab somewhere. And I took this test on me once and that test is positive. So just given with this, uh, with this evidence, what is the probability that I actually have COVID? So as you might imagine, it depends on a bunch of things. How accurate is that test? Say if this test is 90% accurate. Most people would stop right there and say that, hey, the test is 90% accurate. So if I get this test and it says that I have COVID, then with a very high chance, I have COVID. And that's where some of our thought process falls short because we haven't looked at the entire picture here. So with Bayes' theorem in general, you need to look at three things. The first thing is how how likely is it to have covid in this case without any evidence this is called the base rate so and that is as you can see that's already something that we have already missed like we haven't taken into account in this case if we if we falsely conclude that if i get a, a test with 90% probability i have a covid with a very high probability so mm. That, so we have already neglected the part of, how likely is it that I have COVID in the first place? And we know that, say, one it affects 1% of the world population. And the second aspect is, how rare is the evidence? Like, how rare is it for anyone to get a positive test? We said this test was 90% accurate. That means for majority of the people who have COVID, it will say that they have COVID. But also, you have to take into account the other side that since majority of the people who don't have COVID, even 10% of the people who take that test will get a positive result because the test is only 90% correct. So that mm-hmm. biases the results quite a bit. And taking into account, the third thing that you have to look it look at is... What we have already looked at, how relevant is the test in this case, it's 90% accurate. So yeah, that's something that we very normally look at, but the other
2: stuff is something that humans often neglect. So Out of these three parts, what do you think is the most important one? Like, which is, which part should, well, which of these three questions should we focus more? Is it the base rate the the usual like the likelihood that if a sneeze happened then it's COVID, or the, what what is the likelihood that it's COVID overall or the second one is how rare that incident is given you had a sneeze uh, and it's COVID. and the third one or how likely it's the sneeze i think that was the example right and the th- third is if you if it's COVID, then you had a sneeze or something like that so we're trying exactly. to figure out We have to figure out if it's a sneeze, what is the probability it's a COVID, right? That's what we're trying to do in this example. So so the first one, how likely is the COVID overall scenario? Do you think that is the most important question out of these three questions? Perhaps. Yeah, like it's hard
0: for to say that because in different cases, different things affect the result. But in this case, yeah, let's take an actual symptom of COVID in this case. Like we have... If someone has COVID, it's very likely that they, let's assume in this toy example, that it's very likely that they have a coughing fit. They do cough. But if you think of this example, it becomes so much clearer that if I cough every time, how likely is it that I have COVID if I've been coughing for the last three days? Now, just thinking of that, you kind of probably already have a sense that, People cough all the time. So I guess that part is very important. It's called the base rate and we can focus on that part right now. Like if you think about how often do people cough, that's a hard question to answer by itself. Like it's not an easy problem to solve. And that's why I feel one of the pitfalls over here is it's hard for us to understand these priors, these things are called priors, where which tell you information about the world in the absence of the evidence you just saw so in this case it's like how often is it how often is it for people to have a coughing fit so and the answer is pretty likely but it's very hard to put a number on that so and that makes it maybe it is very common maybe it isn't really common for people to have coughing fits so and that is something that you will need to get a better sense of to make to judge that information much better around you. So, so, yeah,
2: I have another question. What is the intent of this? Uh, so you started with, this is a tool, uh, and what do we use this tool for? Is it for better decision-making or, uh, yeah, I, I think the main, main purpose, which we discussing today, is it for better decision-making and, uh, uh, figuring out what is the right information? How can we use this tool? That's my main question. So
0: the best way to think about it is it's an it's a tool that helps you evaluate evidence. Like if someone on the news says that, oh my God, the your city has a super high crime rate because there have been five uh, murders in the last five days, or that's a very low number maybe. But in your local example, you'll have to think of that. Okay. So... How uh, likely is it to have five murders in the last five days? So it's it's basically a uh, evaluate. So to answer your question, it is a tool to help us evaluate this evidence. And because in a news anchor might spin it as it has never been, it has never happened in the history of in the last thirty years. It's never happened that five murders in five days. So then, it becomes really hard to think about it rationally and say that. Hold on a second. Is is it? Re- I know it's never happened before, but does that make it strong evidence for something? Just because something is unlikely, does it make? Uh, does that make it strong evidence for my hypothesis? Or what other things do we need? So in this case, probably there is the unlikeliness might be a factor in. in saying that, yeah, I have a higher crime rate, but there might be other correlated factors in this case that will probably point that, okay, it's probably not that bad.
1: So I I think because you were mentioning about dealing and tackling with these priors or or getting better. So I think what what I got from what you were saying is you can get better at decision-making using Bayes' theorem, Mm -hmm. but the first step to doing that is to get better at coming up with these priors, right? Or the base exactly. rate, right? Yeah, and I I think, uh, I mean, tech technically, if I had to put a technical term, and I think Rolf Dobelli in his book he called it the base rate neglect, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and I think that happens because of some of the biases which we have discussed in one of our two of our prior episodes, right? One in season one and one in season two, is uh, we have biases like survivorship. Bias and then uh, fundamental attribution error and um, news illusion mm. or information overload in general. I mean, these mm-hmm. biases kind of are keeping us from calculating the right base rate, which is why we are kind of getting swayed from what needs to be done to come up with the right priors, right? So I think yep. the first step would definitely be to be more mindful about these biases again it comes down to the biases it does yep yeah Mm -hmm. so dealing with them so you get better at tackling the base rate neglect Mm
3: -hmm. and
1: uh, and hence coming to uh, more relevant priors and then you can go ahead and apply base theorem
3: so but i have a uh, so knowing the formula i have a question saying Mm -hmm. that i mean while if we are saying that uh, the base serum will will be helpful in taking decisions in in life or at least trying to see if what we are what we are making decisions on is 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 right or not then i'm i was thinking how since it's so mathematical how how can we like i, I since the formula whenever you say formula it's a mathematical thing but we can't like in, in real life decisions, we, we really can't sit and do math to come to a better decision. So then how are we going to use that formula? I mean, I understand that you explained the terms, what all those terms mean. But since there are there are some divisions and multiplications involved here, how do we apply those into our real life?
4: Yeah, I would like to pitch in here. So basically any mathematical formula does have its corresponding presence in the reality as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, here in this case, the formula is just a mathematical expression, but however, it has significance in reality and why Bayes' theorem, in spite being one of the most important things in mathematics, it is still finding its application in science, philosophy, medicine, artificial intelligence and multi-domains. So, uh, the basic understanding of intuition behind the formula is what is of most importance here. So which is to keep the priors in mind while uh, making decisions based on evidence. So the evidence and evidence in isolation doesn't uh, should not be the basis for making decisions, but it should be a supplement towards the prior. That is the the idea here.
0: Yep. Uh, Yeah, that was very well put in in this case yes the evidence will if the evidence is overwhelming it does point to an increase in the chance of the hypothesis being true but that's definitely not the only thing so in like momita said there's something called the base rate like in the absence of any evidence what is the probability of my hypothesis being true that is the higher that is the higher the chances of my hypothesis being true are and the the other thing is uh, how rare is this evidence that's the third thing you need to think about basically those are the three things right in this bayes theorem so and the rarer the evidence that points to a more higher chance of your hypothesis being true as well so and that is why in if you look in the formula it is in the denominator because it's that probability is inversely proportional and that's why it's as the lower the probability of the evide- uh, evidence evidence happening that is the rarer the evidence the higher the chances of your hypothesis being true are so to reiterate um, there are three things you need to look at when you see any information being presented to you one is how likely is my hypothesis that I'm forming in general how likely is my evidence or how in this case how rare is it to see the evidence and the third is given if I assume my hypothesis was true, how likely is it that the evidence would show up? So those are the really the three things that you need to look at. And given any scenario, but it's easier said than done, I guess, at this point. And there are there is a reason why hum- we humans aren't really good at so doing this. Like I, one thing I can think of, and others can pitch in here is. It's really hard to think of what evidence needs to be looked at to form my hypothesis. Like there's this mathematical, classic mathematical problem where someone asks, where you you basically asked that someone comes to you and says that I have three kids and at least one of them is a boy. What is the probability that the other two are boys as well? In this raw academic laboratory setting, you go ahead, do those formulas, and do all of that. But in the real life, if someone approached you randomly and said, I have three kids and one of them is a boy, you would probably get out of there as fast as possible. So that and that is because you in real life, there is so many pieces of evidence that are interacting with each other that it makes it harder to make decisions. Like this was a, a funny example, but it illustrates the point that you can you cannot think of evidence in a vacuum, it interacts with other things. So the interconnectivity of evidence is one of the parts. I, I guess, Momza, you were talking about how hard it is to form good priors or how hard it is to think about the base rate. Right. So, but yeah, if you would like, would you want to elaborate on that and why, why it is hard to get good base rates in general?
1: Yeah. So, uh, speaking about base rates, I guess. Coming back to what I was mentioning, it's because we fall prey to these biases which uh, we use because of survival. One of them is survivorship bias where you kind of Mm -hmm. focus on filtered information and not the whole information. A lot of invisible cases are still there. You kind of ignore that and you kind of only filter out uh, some information. Again, that is probably related to confirmation bias, because sometimes you only want to see certain information. So you will en- end up filtering out only that information. So yep. multiple biases there for survival. Then you have something called information bias that I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us, if not most of us, we think that we have this misconception that more information leads to better decision making, which is not the case sometimes more information is just going to paralyze you or if if not paralyze you i don't know maybe confuse you so yeah. so that's another bias uh that we should be uh, conscious about then there is uh, news illusion like these days i mean watching news is something that is important because you should stay aware about what's happening around the world but then the moment you watch too much of it, it becomes a downward spiral. And then, mm-hmm. like, for example, now whenever I open the news, it is it is obviously about the pandemic or the election, and then that kind of clouds my decision-making because of information overload through the news or through other resources. And there's another thing called fundamental attribution error, right, where we kind of uh, have a tendency of focusing more on people rather than the behavior yeah uh, so so yeah i i think an amalgamation of these different biases that we fall prey to i mean biases are not bad we do need biases for survival that's that's why they were they happened biases happened because of that because you need some biases for automating some responses to make life easier to mm. make certain decisions but you also need to be aware of where to apply what bias, hmm. and uh, yeah, and kind of keep, uh, yeah, the bias away from the situation. Yep. Again, easier said than done, like you said. I, so I
0: agree. We yeah. we've made a whole podcast about yeah. the whole bias thing, so I'm guessing there's more to it. it it's yeah. definitely easier said than done. Yeah. So.
3: I was thinking about uh, what you said about the the base rate or uh, or the presence of evidence and non base rate. I think it was the presence of evidence. Where the rare the evidence is, it has a higher it has a higher prob- probability that it will support your hypothesis. In real life, though, don't we treat the rare occasions as one of things? Like if something happens, mm-hmm. yet yeah, it just happened once. We never think of it as oh yeah if this is a rare thing that is happening and since it's a rare thing that is happening it mm-hmm. must have some subs- like substance to it. We never think about that. We actually think about oh, it just happened once it won't happen again. So no need to take into consideration.
2: That's a very good example. And even I was facing the same dilemma when I was going through the base theorem. Um, so the three. Uh, components, as uh, Karthik mentioned, the base rate of something happening. The second is evidence that it might not happen, or it you know something that could stop it. And the third one is, how is that evidence evident related to the hypothesis we are trying to establish? So with the third part, we see if there is a relation between what we're trying to find out and mm-hmm. this evidence. So mm-hmm. that some of the evidence or some of the circumstances which could affect our main uh, hypothesis, might not be related so we that that reduces the effect of our uh, uh, evidence the second example is when you said uh, it is inversely propo- proportionate so what is how rare is that evidence right so uh, it's it's a simple example when we say a lot of words but only few words have a lot of meaning uh, so suppose we are trying to find out so this is a very famous uh, nlp problem and i'm sure uh, uh, either karthik or uh, shankar can even uh, elaborate on that we when you're doing uh, natural language processing we remove a lot of common words from a language to find figure out what is the signal you know right. and from the noise so a lot of time the noise has to be removed to figure out okay this if this happens this is important this is very rare that this happens and if uh, i can give uh, quote an example so Suppose there we are trying to see that uh, the there might be a recession in U, uh, in US, given that uh, the yield rate is inverted, right? So how f- uh, frequently the yield rate inverts, and does first of all we we need to find out okay what is the likelihood that there will be a recession? If, yes. if it is likelihood, right? So there is a percentage, and which will which is the base rate which will affect the recession in most of the cases. The second is. How frequently does the yield rate reverses? That's a rare instance, but if that happens, then what effect that that inversion of yield rate have on the recession? So if we look at all three events, then only we can figure out, okay, so now this is there is a yield rate reverse, uh, inversion, and would the recession happen because of it? Mm-hmm. So that rarity and the signal of that evidence is very important when you'll figure out the final probability of something happening. Mm-hmm. I, I know this was a very technical example. Uh, maybe we can uh, refer to the previous examples which are more relatable. And even does anybody have any other example which is more relatable, Shankar or Karthik? I think I, I like the example you mentioned about COVID. That was certainly a very intuitive one.
0: Yeah, but I think we can, your example is good if we just i mean we don't have to even look at we can think of yield rate as a black box like i can say that what is the probability of there is a recession given that it rained today okay mm-hmm. so maybe the fact that we are making this absurd makes yeah. it easier to understand because one thing you have to think the first thing you have to think about is how often does it rain
2: yeah it's not rare enough to have that in our equation right it it can rain any day and that doesn't have an effect on recession exactly perfect
0: the second thing is how what you said which is the hardest part like Mohammed said the base rate how often does the recession happen and that's a hard Mm -hmm. problem you cannot uh, because it'll require studying or maybe (laughs) a degree in economics to figure that out that's the hard part and the third part is if there was a recession going on right now how likely is it that it would be raining as well basically you're Mm -hmm. inverting the inverting the equation so instead of asking how likely is it that there's a recession given that it's raining you ask how likely is it that it would be raining given that there is a recession Mm -hmm. so that is the third thing and that is also so the last two things are will go a long way in clarifying even if you don't have Information on the base rate, like what is the probability of a recession? You do have a lot of information in this case about the general idea of how likely it will be to rain and how likely it will be to rain during a recession.
3: No, but again, like I am still, I'm still kind of not uh, convinced that the rarer the evidence, the more it has. Okay,
2: I have a very intuitive example because I'm, I'm a romantic. I will quote a very romantic example. Suppose there's a guy who is flirting with you, and you're not sure whether he likes you or not. But yeah. one day, he asks you out, and then you are sure that he uh, you know, is really into you. So that asking you out is a rare instance. He could be yeah. flirting. He could be just like, oh, how are you doing? And that's a normal conversation. You don't take put so much weight into that normal, funny conversation. But him asking you out, or him bringing you flowers, and bringing you chocolate cakes, and stuff like that, Karthik, tips, <laughs> could be something which will convince you that, OK, he might really like me, so that's a rare in instance. But not other guys won't do that. But this guy does it, so you know that is okay, fine. Mm-hmm. I see where this is going. Yes, huh? <laughs> exactly. Convince.
1: I mean,
3: yeah. Again, like I, what I would say is that like, this is yeah i mean i'm i'm convinced again the this very put in this very niche example yes yeah. but um again uh, what i understand is i absolutely understand the mathematical implications of it as something being rare that that gives uh like it, the amount is going like the mathematical value is going to be lower so it's going to have more effect in the hmm. denominator what i absolutely understand i was just trying to think about how we treat a rare um, a rare occurrence of a thing and do we actually think about it that okay so this is an anomaly and so mm. that's why you would think about it how, like how many times do we say that this is an anomaly yeah. so we have to think about it and other times it just happened once and we just brush it off
2: yeah, it, the, the third component is also important, that, that uh, the rare anomaly should have an effect on your overall outcome, which you're trying to see. So if, if that doesn't have an effect, like it's a rare thing, it could be a fluke, but every time that fluke happens, the final outcome that you are trying to see, that also happens. So you say there is a very strange occurrence that whenever, let's say, I burn my bread. I have put in uh, put the yeast for thirty minutes. So you see the correlation that every time I kept the yeast for a longer time, my bed goes bad. So, exactly. You know? That has to be a correlation between those two things.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: To take Saranj's example a little bit, suppose and this was an example that we'll put in the show notes as well. It's an article that we had read. So basically if if you're if Saranj uh, says he was he, he he was flirting with a girl and she turns out to be introverted, okay? And then, yeah, so correct. what is the what is the probability that she would be a librarian? Now, given the fact that you, the, the part that you, we're talking about rarity of evidence is how many people are introverted and how many librarians are introverted. Those are the two things we need to figure out before making this judgment about. So the third part will probably tell you about whether you should discard it as an anomaly, or mm-hmm. you should uh, factor that into your calculate factor that into your internal, Cal- in, yeah, calculations or intuitive calculations in this case. Even though if it's not a mathematical thing you're doing strictly, you mm-hmm. should factor that in. So,
1: okay.
0: like Saran said, it'll. How does my evidence help my hypothesis?
1: So I have a quick question here. So I I, I think what I'm getting is base rate is very important when Mm -hmm. we are looking at base theorem, probably the more important factor out of all the three that we discussed, right? So okay, so that's great. So base theorem will help us with better decision making. Now, what if we want to apply base theorem to a very novel domain, or we want to do some kind of experimentation? When I say experimentation, that means we don't have any prior. Like a coronavirus, right? It, it is spreading. We are still struggling with stabilizing the economy, stabilizing hospitalizations. And I, yeah. I, I think one of the reasons is because there was no prior, because it's it's the novel coronavirus, right? Yep. You, you have no base rate. So then is Bayes' theorem not that effective for such cases, or is it only effective in known scenarios I just wanted to hear your thoughts.
4: Yeah, so uh, that is a very good example uh, to start with. So probably even if we do not have priors, we do have ways of identifying estimates of base rates. For example, Mm -hmm. in this case, being the coronavirus being new, but we do have examples of pandemic in the past. So probably they can be a good starting point of what could be a at least uh, some ballpark estimate of base rate and then uh, getting a sense of what should be the probability of people contracting it. So the idea of probability is it is used to capture uncertainty So base theorem being a part of it. So it is the uncertainty that we are trying to capture and we cannot be definite or rigid about the outcome. So it is just at the end of the day, the probability only. So. I think, yeah, the estimates of base rate can be a good starting point.
0: Yeah. So you're saying Shankar, that even if we don't have good priors, we will have some priors
4: that we can probably use. Yeah. Some neighboring examples Mm. which we can leverage.
1: But, But if we don't have a neighboring example, I'm just considering a hypothetical situation where we don't. Uh Let's say uh, filmmaking started in 1920 and there was no, I mean, I, I can't think of a neighboring uh, profession or domain to filmmaking. So how do you think Bayes' theorem would have worked out?
3: Please, right? I mean, the entertainment, mass entertainment was always there, like plays, musicals, that has been around yeah. since the Middle Ages while this was a technical thing where there wouldn't be the novel part of this was that the actors wouldn't be in front of people when the audience is enjoying it. I think uh, over there, maybe the base rate would be how, like, if you're trying to make a comedy film, how successful have the comedy plays been Mm. that could be a similar or a neighboring base rate that we could be looking at to actually determine the movie making like the first ever movie making
0: okay and in the absence of absolutely any Mm -hmm. this evidence or any prior you regard prior as a coin toss and you go from there so basically your future you use your you use the prior as a coin toss and say i have no belief in this whatsoever it may go either way Mm -hmm. and then based you keep experimenting and based on your observations you update your priors so i guess Mm -hmm. our entire to be a little more philosophical our entire life is one giant experiment where we are constantly updating our priors we as babies did not have any beliefs about priors we did not have any base rates in our mind so like base theorem is not about what's happening but it's about what you believe it's about beliefs right it's And the base rate is what you believe is, and the closer it matches the real world, the better your priors are. So it's more an indication of your beliefs in this case. So in going with the baby example, the baby will probably have priors as 0.5 for everything. He doesn't know if the fire is hot, cold. So he tries things out and then updates his priors on the basis of past experiments, and then goes on to better decision-making.
4: So, yeah, that is a very good point, Karthik. So, even in extremely novel fields uh, where the research is very new and there is uh, no previous experimentation that have been done, so the way I think about this is the evidence gets gradually shifted towards the prior. So, basically, as Karthik mentioned, 0.5 probability. And as we gather new evidence, so probably when we share the latest time and then carry out experiment from that point our previous evidences can get accumulated in the prior. and then exactly. we gather more evidences and then it's a gradual shift from evidences to the prior category as we gather more experimental Beautiful. results
2: this is one more thing i wanted to uh, touch on uh, so we we talked about base rate and I, I now have a better understanding of the base rate part the the evidence or the instances that affect our probability like initially there are some things which affect our main hypothesis we want to check and we find a relationship okay if this happens then there is a likelihood that the main thing which you're testing is will happen like in the yeast and um example i love that so if you but suppose in a different setting the relationship between events also change so th- there are some things which affect other things at this point of time but after a while, the relationship between what affected that the main thing, that relationship is different and it doesn't have so much weight on your final hypothesis which you're trying to assess. And uh, the historical patterns also change. So your base rate, as, as you said, that evolves because you're learning over So your base rate of something happening is also changing. So I think it's a very still a very fluid concept, um, the base theorem. It can, it can be right at a particular instance of time, but it does evolve as you go along, because all these things which you are taking in effect would change.
0: Cool. I guess this was a pretty good uh, discussion. Um, any final questions, thoughts on this?
1: I think it's a, it's, it's a great concept, and uh, I like this whole approach of combining maths and philosophy and our beliefs together and but again I think base theorem or any theorem for that matter would help us towards better decision making if we kind of become more aware of the biases mm-hmm. and uh, are more open to learning both our topics that we've covered in the past. So yeah I think all all of these things kind of go hand in hand so yeah yeah
2: thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks,
1: everyone.